You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. And we have big news today. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic. Welcome to episode 56. Yes. And uh, before we get to that big news, uh, since it seems like you guys appreciated our complaining so much, we figured we we're going to just do another whole half hour of, of complaining <laughs> this time. So, half just, hour? You're really limiting me because <laughs> yeah. I could, I could, you know, we could do a couple hours. Yeah, we could yeah. do a marathon. I, I think uh, after we were got done last time, we realized how frustrated we were because that was only supposed to be like a five minute thing on. <laughs> Hey, this is like some of the pains and troubles we're going through right now, and it just turned into like a rant. It of... just started oozing <laughs> out. I, although I feel, you know, I I will say I feel that once we did that, it was very therapeutic. Oh yeah, like I felt yeah. much better after between that and a long weekend. So I guess we should thank yeah. all of our listeners for being our therapists. Yes, and, yeah. and uh, <laughs> allowing yeah. us to do that, being our ears. And just letting us vent, uh, yep. we appreciate that. I feel I feel bad having done it, but I feel much better. Yeah, after the fact it. and after it was published, I'm like, eh, maybe we shouldn't have done, done yeah. that. But um, at we least didn't the people, if, if anyone got upset, they didn't let us know. No, but a lot I, of people actually reached out and said, oh, yeah, I didn't realize how busy it was. I didn't realize how much actually goes into this kind of stuff. So that yeah. was nice to hear. Uh, that it, that that happened, so. and that rant was unedited, so yes, we didn't yeah. go back and go. Maybe we should take some yeah. of that out. We we kind of let it free flow. So, um, but, but yeah. So, what is the the big news you're talking about? Well, are we allowed to talk about your promotion, or should oh, I have yes. asked that before I mentioned your promotion? No, I guess we can. All but, right, uh, so, I wouldn't say it's a big promotion. No, that's it's a it's, big deal. So Tom has been promoted to general manager of Pinelands Nursery. So. Uh, you know what? It's very well deserved, and I'm very happy. Oh, thank for you, you very much. It's it's uh, always nice when you get a promotion right after you make like a ten thousand dollar mistake. So <laughs> <laughs> we've all, you know, if it makes you feel any better, we've all done it. I, I shared with you. I, I know early on in my career, uh, at the first nursery I worked at, I was in charge of uh, checking irrigation, and I would come in on the weekends, and it was a three day. Fourth of July weekend, and we'd hit 100 degree temps in all three days. And there was an issue where one zone of trees was running for five minutes, and that's it. It was supposed to run for like an hour and 20 minutes, and it, mm -hmm. it ran for five. So I just happened to be there after it was running both days, and I was touching the root balls, and everything was wet. But I'm colorblind, and the leaves were starting to turn, and I couldn't see it. <laughs> and <laughs> and when when we came back to work. You know, like I got pulled in and they're like, what do you see there? And I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, you don't see that. And I'm like, see what? <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and we had everything had defoliated. Yeah. Like yeah. It, it it was turning color, but I couldn't really see. That Sounds color. like a, a really good excuse, Fran. This whole colorblind thing. I wonder if that's like just a whole uh, ruse you've got going <laughs> for the last many years. But. I'll never tell. So, no, we've all done it. And that's that's yeah. where it's a, it's a learning. Oh, yeah. It's a, a whole learning process. You can be told things. You can read things. But until you experience it and you learn yeah. to adjust, it, it happens. Yeah. It's the best of us. Yeah. But it's very well deserved. I'm very happy Well, thank for you very much. And yeah. um, But moving on to today's guest, uh, today we actually have a, on a listener who's actually starting his own um, podcast and blog 
called Growing with Nature. And yeah. uh, and I actually took some time and listened to it last night, and it was really good. And I left you a review because I know I always ask people to leave us reviews. So I figured I should probably make now, this a two-way street if I can. Now, I feel guilty because I did not get a chance to listen last night. I wanted to, and I didn't get the opportunity. But I will listen, and I will rate and review. Yeah, no, so I, I learned a lot. And um, even though they are all the way across the country, I still learned a lot. So with that, Darren, why don't you take a, a little bit of time and introduce yourself and, and what your new venture is? Yeah, well, hi, everyone, and thanks for having me on. Yeah, my name's Darren Williams, and yeah, I'm over in western Washington, so right. a little opposite side of the country. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so you know, my background is a little bit mixed. I'm a, basically a restoration ecologist, but I've also been a lifelong gardener. And I work for the Washington State Department of Fish and Wildlife. And basically in that role, I'm helping to support the what we call our nearshore programs, which okay. is basically, you know, I live on the Puget Sound, which is, you know, just really large estuary. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of work to recover and restore those shorelines. Mm -hmm. And okay. so I'm helping to support a range of programs that are involved in different aspects of that. But my background, you know, I started out kind of Eastern Washington, which is much drier, and I was a hydrotech for the USDS. So I kind of have a water background. You know, I used mm -hmm. to spend time in Northern Idaho too, um, working in streams and rivers. You know, that was a big part of it. And then over time kind of shift, you know, basically what kind of motivated me is to move towards restoration was I saw a lot of the issues in rivers and streams that were coming from the uplands you know, mm -hmm. from like logging, you know, causing runoff issues, other things like that. And I started wanting to get involved in helping to address those problems I was seeing. And that kind of got me shifted gears to the, you know, to working for a land trust at one point, running a restoration program, and then more recently shifting to the state and helping with their, you know, their shoreline programs. Awesome. Very, very cool. So I've already, you know, we for for our listeners that don't know we always share questions with our guests beforehand so they kind of know where we're going and i'm yeah. already going way off yeah. <laughs> way off script so just because it kind of i'm curious from a perspective from another part of the country what you know for uh, maybe it's just me but when i think of the pacific northwest i picture a more pristine and cleaner version of the u.s than what we have here in the Northeast. Um, and we just had an episode with Joe Cermelli from, from Meat Eaters, and we we're talking about his opinion on water quality. Having worked with, with, with water throughout your career, what is your view on where we're at water quality? Is it improving? Is it declining? Is it an issue just from another perspective in another part of the country? Yeah, it, it really depends on where you're at even like in this one state you know it changes yeah. a lot um a big issue that we have over here is water temperature okay. you know like a lot of our rivers you know they the repairing the the vegetation along the rivers has been removed and they get really hot um sometimes reaching temperatures that like salmon which is obviously a very important yeah. you know wildlife species for here you know multiple salmon types but um the salmon can't survive if the temperatures get too high gotcha. um, we're reaching those temperatures you know we have issues with our with our hydroelectric dams you know which provide great service for the community but at the same time they exacerbate a lot of those issues mm -hmm. and you know they trap sediment too so some rivers are becoming sediment starved you know there's gotcha. you, know, you don't get the right type of bars or you know for or material for the salmon to lay their eggs in you okay. know sometimes they get filled with sand sometimes not so you have those issues but then we also have, you know, 
like in the Puget Sound, there's issues with um, septic tanks put right on the shoreline, and there's n really nowhere for it to go. So you know, it's a range of issues, but you know, it's it's also interesting. Like in Washington, you talk about kind of being pristine. You know, we have the Cascades, which are pretty nice, yeah. Olympics, um, other mountain ranges, foothills, Rockies. But we also like most of the state's population is concentrated within just a few miles of one freeway that runs up and down <laughs> Western Washington. Yeah. So you know, in that area, you have a very high dense population. Okay. But then you have vast other parts of the state that are very rural, very open. You know, I grew up in far eastern Washington, which is much more rural than where I live now, Western mm -hmm. okay. Washington. And so it does kind of depend, you know, logging, resource extraction in general is a really big industry across the state too. So even areas that look more pristine, you know, as you learn to look at a forest, you know, when I was doing, being an ecologist, you know, you start noticing that, well, they're all the same age. So mm -hmm. they may look like a nice forest, but there's, it's a, it's a tree farm really in a lot of ways. Wow. Yeah. You know, it's even, it's, I, I once and I'll steer us back on track, I promise. Because yeah. I, I, I've already taken – like we have to have Darren on again at another time so yeah. we can talk more about this. But I'd seen uh, from an ecologist uh, – it was a presentation about forests in Pennsylvania. And it was saying there is no old-growth forest mm -hmm. left in Pennsylvania. Even what you see in western Pennsylvania with, with mountains, they're like, that's all been logged. That's all second generation. You know, nothing – like if, if you picture what it should be, it's not that at all. So what mm -hmm. you're thinking as pristine wilderness really isn't because yeah. it's been it's been touched by human hands and changed already. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's kind of like when I think of the Pacific Northwest, I think of oh, all that's been untouched, you know, and it's but you have logging, you have all it's it's just mm -hmm. our perception here because we have so much dense populated cities and so forth. It's just to me, it's it's almost like a place that doesn't exist. To me, it's like New Zealand, <laughs> almost. Yeah. You know, when I think about it. But you know, it's one of my favorite places to visit. So, yeah. Um, so to yeah, get us, have, I'm sorry. Say, we have very little growth left, unfortunately, in mm -hmm. the state. Like um, that was a big issue actually in the '90s, if I'm remembering the timeline right. But with the spotted owl and the debate over trying to protect the last of the old growth because the spotted owl relied on old growth forests. Okay. And, it was also important for a lot of these logging communities, you know, small towns. Mm -hmm. And even though it was like just protecting a very small percentage of what historically was here, you know, that was still had a, a big economic impact. And it was a big debate in the state. And eventually they did protect some of the what was left. But, you know, it was just a handful of pockets left, unfortunately. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So, well, we, we will definitely have to have you on again so we can have yeah, <laughs> like already steered us in a different direction <laughs> that I, I want to go in. But. You know, one thing that I love about you is as soon as you joined our Facebook group, the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group, you you came in and became a big part of that community right away. And it's you're you have extremely interesting posts that everyone kind of gravitates to. Yeah, uh, it, it, you chime in in a different way than most because one, you're from a completely different part of the country than most of the people in that group and, and most of our listeners. But it was also directly tied to food. It, yeah. it wasn't just about birds or pollinators or just flowers. Mm -hmm. It was it was really a lot about food and all that stuff as well. So yeah, we're we're just kind of wondering where that love came from and how mm -hmm. you got to where you are. And I, I I'd love to talk about your property as well as we progress and what you've done and what you've accomplished. Yeah, yeah. You know, I grew up as uh, with a family that gardened. So like okay. my whole life, you know, 
I've always been growing food and you know, a lot of that in the past was more traditional kitchen garden, you know, gotcha. type traditional veggies, the things that people are very familiar with. And I, so I always had that background, you know, and I, we would pick berries that we'd find and, you know, so I was kind of aware of some wild um, edibles in that sense, but okay. it was more as I started getting, you know, getting my ecology training, doing restoration work, you know, I started really being interested in like, well, can these be combined? You know, I felt like they were often separate, you know, in in conversations, like people growing food were different. Those discussions were different than the people trying to restore wildlife habitat. And, you know, so I started looking at that and that really got me interested in the the native edibles and Mm. just learning more about them and asking the question, can these native edibles be grown in a garden, you know, can they yeah. be grown in, you know, not just because I see people foraging for them, going out into woods or, you know, meadows, other places, more natural areas and foraging for these. Yeah. So I was like, well, what if we brought them home? You know, what if we mm-hmm. put them in our own yards? Like, can that be done? And that's really, you know, because I feel like, you know, there's our society as a whole, we often, a lot of people don't feel they feel a little disconnected from nature, you know, nature's yeah. kind of out there, you know, it's somewhere mm-hmm. you go visit. It's I... not in our own backyards, but like, you know, I love going to national parks, you know, we have Mount Rainier really close to here and it's lovely there, but I actually find, I see more wildlife in my own backyard than I do when I go to the national parks, just cause there's so many, there's always so many people walking around everywhere, mm-hmm. you know, like they avoid the, the animals, avoid the trails. <laughs> so, you know, it's like you rarely see, a lot of the bigger wildlife, you know, sometimes you see elk or a bear off in the distance, but yeah. here, you know, and we see just dozens and dozens of birds almost every time we look out our window, you know, we're getting new wildlife all the time as we've been restoring our place. And, but I also wanted to feel connected to the land and, you know, it's when the land is providing you some of the food that you need to survive, or that at least that you're, you know, you're consuming on a day to day basis, yeah. that gives you a lot more of a connection to that place than if it's just a place for wildlife exclusively. And I think, you know, part of it is that it can do both. You know, you look at how native peoples have managed landscapes throughout, you know, the time there, you know, to the, in the past and to now, you know, they didn't have that disconnect, you know, it wasn't like a wild area and then their area, it was all one area and they relied on those foods and they still do. And we can, you know, a lot of those foods just are, we just don't know about them. Mm-hmm. You know, those of us who are not from those cultures, you yeah. know, and it was just kind of trying to bring that back and rediscovering it and learning and just accepting it. You know, I really feel like, for example, a salad, you know, growing uh, a salad being eaten in England, you know, being eaten in New Jersey and a salad here in the Pacific Northwest should all be different. Like yeah. they shouldn't be the same. You know, there may be some things the same, but it, cause we're all temperate climates, for example, but there should be plants that are unique in every place and that i feel like we just don't have that connection to where we live right now no and 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 that's a great point and i think when you were saying people think that that nature is over there even their idea of what nature is is skewered where um an athletic park could be nature to them Mm -hmm. when it's really a manufactured nature that doesn't even have a lot of native plants in it it's just a manicured area that's open that that may have raccoons or or groundhogs (laughs) or something like that or squirrels but once you have that connect there's a different respect for that land and i think Mm -hmm. that begins to change too so and uh, another important part of it that i never really thought of because 
like I did some um, like mild foraging just growing up, and then <clears throat> my brother does a little more. But uh, Sam Thayer brought it up even a little bit, and I've seen a lot more now. Is uh, if ramps are really popular in this area? Well, if everyone found out about ramps and everyone went out to go get ramps and they all knew where the spots were the ramps wouldn't be there anymore because they'd be over harvested <laughs> yeah. so being able to have some of that in your yard now allows you to cultivate what you would need you're not going to overtake from that because you know if i overtake i'm not going to have enough and uh and you're not taking from a wild place anymore so that's not to say no one's taking from that wild place, but that's one less person who knows where they are and is, is going to get them, yeah. which is, is really important because those plants are important for wildlife and other things as well. Now, ramps is a buzzword yeah, right yeah. now. I was just you, using that one because no, everyone knows. No, it is. Everyone <laughs> knows it. A lot of people it, know that. You know, but, but, but apparently you need more than just ramps yes. you know, to <laughs> do this sustainably. So. And, and and you mentioned historically in a historical context, and we know a lot of that's been lost, and that's something Samuel Thayer talked about as as far as a disconnect. Some of that disconnect, they want it to happen. They wanted to have people with have a disconnect with the land, mm. the, the government. Do you do like when you started this? Did you do some historical uh, background looking just to find out? what what should be there? Because in a lot of respects, what should be there isn't anywhere near where you're at sometimes so like what was that part of your starting process yeah i mean when i moved to western washington from eastern washington and the law the climate's so different here that you know it was kind of i had to rediscover a lot of the plants anyway mm -hmm. so you know I'm, I'm starting to do restoration work here i had to just start exploring and learning and you know getting comfortable with the plants that grew here so finding learning about the edibles in some ways that was the natural extension of what that work that I had to do but I did start looking up things and you know there's um one there's some sites out like online that like one that I really like using it's called plants for a future mm -hmm. and it's a UK site um, but they have plants for all over the world and they don't highlight whether they're native or not but they have a lot of plants so when I would find a native plant I'd be like oh that's interesting I would just copy its you know scientific name put it into that database and look and see what pops up yeah and it was just kind of exploring and finding things like, oh, that has an edible use that I didn't know about. And they always one like, reason I like that site is they give their sources. So like, yeah. oh, okay. following those sources, I found a book that's Ethnobotany of Western Washington. Oh, oh and, wonderful. You know, it was published in the 40s, and it, it was a researcher. She went around and interviewed um, tribal members all up and down Western Washington and documented how they use these various plants. And wow. so, you know, learning, I wouldn't have known about that resource because, you know, it's an old book. It's been republished, but it's kind of obsc fairly obscure. Yeah, I'm sure you're not walking into your local Barnes and Noble and, and just pulling that <laughs> off the shelf. But, you know, that was kind of exploring, finding that there's a found a, you know, a native plant nursery in this area that focuses on native edibles. Awesome. So that, you know, helped too. And they, you know, looking at their site and just different ways of kind of exploring and finding resources um but every year i find i'm learning more new ones like i have a list of new plants that i, I want to try out you know this fall because <laughs> every yeah. fall i like to add some new plants um but yeah i mean there's just sometimes it just takes exploring for example you know i was looking up plants in your guys's area because i was curious and the new jersey um state flower um mm -hmm. the common blue violet is edible and has nice tasting leaves from what i was reading and you know like i'm sure a lot of people over there may not know that that's 
I, I think that, uh, that state flour is one that you could eat. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I I think that's not a very common fact. I, <laughs> we, we should put a poll up just yeah, to ask yeah. how many people knew you uh, could eat the state flour. Yeah, but yeah. that would be a fun survey, too, is how many state flowers are edible? Oh, I like that. Across the country. I like that. That's so, someone, someone's got to do that homework for us. That, I don't think we I'm can, not doing but. it. But uh, from a perspective, just, you know, I love we, we tend to for the most of the people that we talk to, we're we're in the mid-atlantic or the northeast but do you find now that you're looking for some of these natives is are, are natives easier to find in your area is it still difficult like here i know for homeowners they have a hard time finding native plant material or people that focus is there a different focus like is it is it uh better better known or better publicized there to to find than than most would think yeah it finding the right places to look can be a challenge you know because the general retail nurseries that most people will go to often won't have those plants yeah. or they'll have you know the kind of selected variety of of it that you know are questionable yeah. sometimes <laughs> um but you know there are some there are ones around um but it does i've been trying to help people in this area learn about them you know but sometimes it does like you know i always do my plantings in the fall or winter partially because I order them wholesale because that was the yeah. easiest way to to get them. Yeah. Um, and you know, so I group them all up because I have to get them in bundles of twenty five or fifty. And it's you know, yeah. it's a little harder. You know, if somebody's just wanting to plant one or two plants, you yeah. know, or just get started. The conservation districts, you know, are, are also a good place though. That they at least the ones here. I don't know. Every, you know, they probably don't do this everywhere in the country, but the ones here all do native plant sales. Oh, awesome. So you know, we. And there is a pretty strong native plant movement in this area, um, but it's driven by the restoration work. So that's one thing I've found is that the plants that are available are the ones that are best kind of planted in mass in, yeah. you know, kind of ex fairly expensive restoration projects. So sometimes that doesn't include the edible herbaceous plants that I might be wanting to find. So sometimes I've struggled not to find native plants, but to find the you know this uh, one particular like native veggie that i want to grow. okay yeah because it's not used in restoration projects so then it's not being grown by the nurseries mm -hmm. and that makes sense and you, you have a really good point that most of what is grown for natives that is marketed is really for pollinators or for wildlife but not for human consumption you know obviously people will will buy blueberry bushes because they know blueberries are edible and they want to eat them but it kind of drops off from there so it's really you're talking about two different things we're talking mm -hmm. about for human consumption so i know in our correspondence you had thrown out the term food forest and i wanted to see if you could expand on that and explain to everyone what a, a food forest is yes uh so food forest the term you know it's kind of been coined through the um, like permaculture movement. Um, but the basic idea is that it, you're trying to grow food in a way that mimics a forest. Okay. And, you know, it's more, it's often been viewed as something that's common more in the tropics, you know, because a lot mm -hmm. of there, it's actually um, historically a lot of, um, and today too, a lot of indigenous cultures naturally did this. This is what they, they did. And areas that people, researchers that visited these islands, explorers, they thought these islands were all natural. You know, it looked yeah. like a jungle, but it, it was actually a managed food forest, you could call it okay. that, you know, using the modern term. And it's basically, it's a landscape that's been managed for human use. You know, you 
food forest because it's made became a forest. But here in you know Western Washington, there was our old uh, old um, the prairies, and mm-hmm. these prairies were managed by the native peoples. You know through fire regiments. You know they did that for camas and other things. So these prairies, they were. You know, they formed after the ice age, after the glaciers retreated, but then it was humans that maintained them and kept them around. Okay. And that's resulted in now today, it's hard. These prairies are disappearing because the forests are re- replacing them. So they were a human created landscape that w- supported wildlife, but was, you know, but also was managed for human, you know, to provide for humans. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, a food forest is that same concept, but being done in more of a, in a forested environment. You, you and know- what I like to try to tell people it doesn't you don't have to have like a dense forest you know like a food forest i like to think that it's more like you're mimicking a in the temperate climates where we don't get as much sunlight it's more mimicking like an early successional forest you know like after a forest fire goes in you have more open you have a lot more understory you're getting some filtered sunlight so you could have your fruit trees but then underneath that you could have a lot of these native veggies or other you know food plants even classic lettuce tomatoes you know could grow up yeah. there it's it's funny because when you just mentioned prairie that's not something i would have thought of for your location because i just think rainfall and i think that much rainfall it wants to be a forest so but it would make sense if they were managing it with with fire to yeah. keep it that way so so that really does change i guess edibly what what you would have because you i guess you're trying to mimic you're trying to keep that early successional in type. some way, it, it depends on what type, what you're going for. Okay. So you can have, like, if you're an early successional model, will have a lot more vegetables. In okay. It. But you could have like a a closed late successional stage one that was more focused on nut trees, gotcha. fruit trees. Okay. And maybe mushrooms being cultivated underneath it. Mm-hmm. But you're gonna, you know, it's so much shadier. You're obviously gonna get a lot less yeah. of those kind of veggies and. You know, the idea with the food forest is basically you're growing food and you're stacking layers. You're basically, you know, you're getting a yield from your fruit trees. You're getting a yield from any any climbing vines that you might have. You're getting a yield from plants growing on the surface. So in a in a in one in the same area that you might have grown just like a crop, you're actually getting a whole bunch of these yields that can add up to actually a lot more food than a classic kind of uh, setup yeah. because you're growing in multiple layers. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So one thing I I just made me think of is kind of like if you grow it, they will come. Even though you're you're <laughs> growing for yourself, you're creating an ideal habitat as well for wildlife. How much yeah. predation occurs when you're trying to to work this process? Friend, this is where you should have listened to his podcast because he talks about that. Uh, well, so see, yeah. It's, you should have done your homework. I'm <laughs> trying to lead him in so he can say I spoke about this on my yeah. podcast yeah. and 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 promote it. <laughs> that was my save right yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, you know it's, it's interesting. This is one reason why I'm I'm really you know trying to develop systems that combine native plants with the you know human focused landscapes to kind of really find a way to combine those systems because I've found that when I plant the native um, you know berries and shrubs, even ones that I don't eat you know but the yeah. birds love like for example we have a cherry tree a uh, nice pie cherry tree that was here when we moved in and you know the the starlings and other birds would kind of swarm in and take and eat them all and we wouldn't get very much at all but we planted a hedgerow right along it uh, filled with native plants you know our red flowering current here uh, okay. also berries other ones that just produce you know fruit around the same time 
And over time, the birds, you know, even though we have more birds than we ever have had before, they are they like those native ones far better. You know, they go to those and it's spreading them out. And that's kind of like, I always say like, you should plant for the wildlife first before you plant for yourself. Okay. Because when you say you take a lawn and this is what people do, they, they take a lawn, they put a, a vegetable garden in it. You know, like that's, you're basically creating like an oasis in the desert, you know, like there's no food yeah. anywhere else. There's no food for people. There's no food for wildlife in yeah. that lawn. So that garden is the only place that anything's going to eat. Yeah. So of course everything's drawn there. But if you plant, you know, the native plants first and do things like that, and you kind of support the wildlife, then the garden doesn't really stand out when you mm. put that in. Yeah. And that's been how it's worked for us. And, you know, that's why one reason too, that it's kind of, you know, the native edibles are so great is because you can get, you can eat them, but so can the wildlife. So you're getting kind of both sides uh, at the same time. And, you know, I found that those plants too, they don't tend to get overwhelmed by, you know, the predation. I mean, there are exceptions, like obviously deer can, can come yeah. in and just be an issue. We've actually had to exclude deer from our property yeah. because it was just that they were the one that was keeping us from getting things established. Um, but otherwise, you know, we get more birds every year. It's been amazing seeing how much comes in and other wildlife. And, but yet we have, we, you know, we get more harvest, not less. Well, I guess a, a good way to look at it is we're part of the wildlife. Mm -hmm. And if, if yeah. we're, you know, obviously on your own property, you're not having an outbreak of overpopulation in humans. <laughs> so, so you're, you're being careful of what you harvest so that you're not completely wiping something out. And I would imagine mm -hmm. wildlife is on their own doing the same thing unless the ecosystem's out of whack and you're mm -hmm. having a you know yeah. 200 deer per square mile come through and wiping everything out so that no that yeah. would make perfect sense that would make perfect sense do you do you because we mentioned gardening and we mentioned foraging do you see a distinct difference between the two the two terms yeah it's it's interesting you know like whether or not what i do at my place is is foraging or am i harvesting you know or like yeah. going out and gardening you know because like i can go out in my front yard and there's food all over the all over the place you know they're all most of them are native plants but it doesn't look like a garden you know that's yeah. a, a food forest it's a young food forest but also still pretty open and you know it's, it's hard to i think somebody would go out there and they wouldn't look at it as a garden uh, and what in a lot of ways it's more like i'm foraging but the, what's really different is that I've planted everything. So, you know, it's not a landscape that is, the plant communities are not ex what you would have found in an gotcha. untouched, you know, natural area, <laughs> gotcha. but they are all native plants to my area. Um, but, you know, that's kind of the thing is like with the food forest is, you know, you're mimicking a forest, but you're you're growing the things that are edible. Gotcha. So, you know, and it's, it's sometimes it's hard to say like, what, am I foraging or am I going out? Cause I, <laughs> I think foraging often is where you're going out to an area where no one's planted anything, yeah. you know, where people haven't done that. But, you know, that also gets into some interesting sides with like um, indigenous peoples, how they manage the land is a lot of times people viewed what they did as just hunter gathering, yeah. you know, but yet they went out and they were replanting and, you know, what they weren't just foraging in the way that we tend to think about it. You know, they were, they were prioritizing certain species over others. They were creating, you know, what looked wild, but was really gardens. Yeah. You know, there's an interesting aspects here where in the salt marsh at the edge of the salt marsh, it looked just like 
field, you know, like native plants. Uh, they were all native plants, but they were being carefully managed to mm -hmm. increase pr the production of the, a few key species over others. And, you know, so I think it's not, you know, that hunter gathering idea, you know, it that's kind of closer. I think when we think of foraging, it's more, we think of that, like you're going out to an unmanaged area. Yeah. yeah. One of the things I, it just reminded me of, and I don't remember where I originally heard this, but with uh, pawpaws, which are popular in the, the Midwest and, and mid-Atlantic states, they were really common along river corridors. And um, I, like I said, I don't remember who told me this, but it was basically they said it was Native Americans typically brought the seeds with them and kind of plan, planted those along. They would often travel along the river corridors because it was the easiest hiking, and they would kind of plant them along those routes. And uh, I know in, friend, you referenced in... Um, yeah one of our books about New Jersey native plants, the only place that they were really native, pawpaws were native in New Jersey was right along the, the Delaware, Delaware River. River. And uh, you know, it was just, so yeah, in that sense. They were managing were they, it so they'd they had food along their trip. So they yeah. had food along the trip wherever they happened to be along the river yeah. at that point. So which it should be viewed as a food forest. Yeah, so there was exactly. Yeah, but you know, the, the funny thing is if you look at historical data, that's considered where they're native to, but they're not native to that area. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a very interesting to do that and i know samuel thayer had mentioned like he he feels that the term hunter gatherer has a negative connotation too almost mm -hmm. like all right if you're a hunter gatherer you're a savage you know but it's it's way beyond that it was very methodical and it's such a connect connectivity that i i we almost don't even comprehend because mm -hmm. that was their only way of life that's that's what they had yeah. to live there by. was no grocery store there was no, no like shipment of of whatever coming in it was you got to go out it. and get it and you needed to have food security that yeah. was one way to have food security so i, I i'm sorry go ahead i was just gonna say in many ways you know it's, it's farming it's, it's as yeah. advanced mm -hmm. as any farm you know especially during that time period you know we, when you look at like what people were cultivating in fields you know they all mm -hmm. the work that it went in to make those fields happen you know it's equivalent it's just a different way of doing it you yeah. know it's and it's but it's still you have to know understand the plants the timing when to harvest when not how to you know there's still so much knowledge that went into creating those landscapes that allowed them to thrive and i think you know that's to me like you know when i you know i look at like i grew up gardening you know having a kitchen garden and you know i i find the though now growing the native veggies and you know and also other perennial foods a lot more satisfying because like mm -hmm. i remember like my kitchen garden this year you know in like early spring uh, even up till now you know things were just getting going there wasn't much it was fairly bare you know i, I kind of keep the soil mulch but like the lettuce were tiny you know i couldn't even plant tomatoes yet all that but yet my food forest was just filled with abundance we were harvesting salads from it every day awesome. you know because like all the native veggies were already up and thriving and growing great and like we were harvesting all winter long salad greens you know hmm. and we basically we can get all of our greens now from a mix of native vegetables and perennial vegetables awesome. that you know a few of them are native but it's like though you know those are they're just there and they're we can just walk out and go on a walk through our property and just harvest them and so it's it's gardening but it's it's a different type of gardening you know it's yeah. gardening in a way that really does create the result of it is a landscape that doesn't look like a farm at, at least a, the classic farm it mm -hmm. looks yeah. like a natural area so we need we need you to donate donate uh, to science your gut <laughs> biomes 
<laughs> just so they can research. You know, that was something we've talked about on a, a prior uh, episode about soil, just uh, the difference in our food and, and how we eat and how the biomes in our own body have changed just based mm-hmm. on the preservatives. So here's, you know, something – well, I guess I guess here's, here's the next question for me. Like to, in order to maintain this, you think of traditional agriculture and you think of uh, – herbicides and insecticides it's are, are you having any kind of issue that way in a balanced ecosystem without having to spray mm-hmm. yeah well i don't use any sprays okay. um but one thing that i do is i really prioritize creating habitat for the predators so okay. you know i talked about earlier planting for wildlife um goes beyond just planting plants it's also creating the spaces for them so like even in my kitchen garden i have areas set aside where I have log piles, rock piles, snags. Like I have snags right in my kitchen garden beds. Awesome. And you know, like just the other day there was a garter snake sunning itself in my garden on the logs that I put there and you know it, and I found them living in those piles and the garter snakes here they eat slugs. Okay. And so you know, I really want them to be around cuz yeah. they're going to eat the slugs. You know, I saw a study that said the average Seattle garden has 6000 slugs in it. Wow. And it's just like you're never going to deal with the you know if you're trying to fight those pests basically if you're using the pesticides you know those or even organic approaches like you know or non like harmful versions like you know mm-hmm. a cup with beer buried down so the slugs go <laughs> yeah. down in it yeah. like something like that you're still you're taking the role of the predator like you're having to control the population yeah. yourself and i'd rather you know get the slug or get the garter snakes get the um, get more songbirds, you know, get frogs and toads and salamanders and, you know, centipedes that eat slug eggs and, you know, mm-hmm. ground beetles, you know, that eat the slugs. Like if I, and that works for a lot of the common garden pests that people have issues with, you know, we have a, a barn owl box because I want, we have issues with voles. So, you know, doing that, I, you know, awesome. under my deer fence, I put um, tunnels that coyotes can come and go through you know, to make sure that they can come in to still eat the rabbits and eat the voles and things like that. So it's, you know, it's, it's kind of, if you, so that's a big part of it. I, so I don't use pests or sprays to control the pests, but I, I'm actively creating habitat that draws in all the predators, you know, for um, the pests. So I don't mm-hmm. have to manage them so intensely. That is fan- You know, so, so much is always focused on people, wanting to remove predators because of fear or or different things but without predators you have an unbalanced ecosystem you really need that combination of both and i love that you're doing that i i Mm -hmm. really do and i know you've posted in the group many times photos of like uh, placing snags and things like that and that's that's wonderful and that just proves that you can have these native things edible and good for you without overusing one tool too much mm-hmm. it's more balancing yeah. creating for everything rather than i have this tool i'm going to overuse it and and destroy it so yeah. i I'm, I'm curious too if i'm sorry you were going to say something i apologize before uh, i go no it's all good i'm just going to add that you know and it the benefits you know the ecosystem everything's so connected that when you put in a log pile or have or a snag you know things like that like we you know we see um mason bees and other native pollinators Mm -hmm. you know using those so instead of like uh, the classic mason bee box you know that people make it's like you know that that's great if you don't have any of this natural you know habitat but they don't need that to survive they need those logs they need those old you know stalks of dead flowers or you know like all that so like i leave all those in 
instead. And so every year we've been seeing more and more of these, you know, little native bees of different types. And it's because of, so those same things that we're creating, that we're putting in to create habitat for the predators are also creating habitat for our native pollinators. You know, bumblebees can overwinter in them. You know, there's all, it's, you know, we're, it's what a natural landscape would naturally have. You know, like landscapes here are, that's one of our big issues is they're heavily devoid of wood, like normally mm -hmm. uh, downwood, like okay. snags were common in old growth forests. They're not, they're really rare now. You know, big logs, like the old reports from the old growth forest, you used to be able to just walk on logs all through them and never touch the ground. Oh, wow. You know, and wow. that's just, we just don't see that anymore. So in a lot of ways, what I'm doing to create habitat for predators is also mimicking that structure that used to exist naturally, which, you know, is why you get to all these other ripple effects. Wow. So how long for, for your, your home food forest, how long of a journey has that been for you? How long have you been working on that? Well, we, um, we bought our place uh, at the end of the summer in 2016. Okay. Uh, and, you know, it's pretty much, there was a cherry tree, there was a few other ornamentals, um, but it was all just grass lawn. Okay. So like basically every year I've been taking out more and more grass. We have a kind of front backyard area that's uh, about a third of an acre, a little less, and then our whole property is just under three acres. Okay. Uh, so I've been focusing on the area around the house, um, and it's every year, you know, just doing more and trying. You know, we started out getting our hedgerows up um, partially for privacy, okay. Which, you know, things like that, yeah. um, but also for wildlife. You know, it's a little bit. It provided both functions, mm -hmm. and yeah, you know, it's changed a lot. The hedgerows, the the oldest ones are probably about four years old, three years old now, or going into their fourth year. And um, some of the areas are only a year old, you know, like we just put in a little wildlife pond last October. Awesome. You know, that's brand new, but it's uh, just kind of constantly every year doing more and expanding and depends on what I have time to do, but it's, you know, it's just constantly kind of expanding and adding more. And I'm always trying to mix in more, um, more native plants too. So, you know, researching ones, trying to especially the herbaceous ones the non-woody ones because those were the ones i didn't know as well okay. uh, for my restoration work mm -hmm. uh so you know we're always trying to mix those in and add more of those um even this year in the fall this i want to start adding in some native um veggies into my kitchen garden which okay. i hadn't done as much so we're looking into growing those as a as like a living mulch that ones that stay small enough that they won't um out compete like even a mm. lettuce will get nice. bigger than them nice have, have, since its inception, have you noticed a difference in your soil? Yeah, it's it's interesting. Our so so we, you know a little geological history for our area. We were this area was under a lake in the last ice age, so okay. it's actually a very young soil um, because even because of that. So it's very silty clay because okay. you know base of a lake, and so that's what we started with. And in the summer, you know, it's just rock hard, gr turn gray, just become as hard as concrete. Um, in the winter, you know, it's like just clings to the boots and everything. It's just a sloppy mess. But now, like in the areas that are about four years old, so like under the cherry tree, which is one area I started, uh, was just a lawn. And it was that kind of thick, heavy, silty clay. And now it has that crumbly feel to it. It has that earth, you know, kind of like it feels more like a forest floor. Mm -hmm. You know, it's still a little heavy, but it's it's getting darker. Like it's now, instead of gray, it's brown. Yeah. Okay. And it's yeah. Like, you know, but we put down a ton of mulch too, but then, you know, our goal is to, we start with mulch to get rid of the grass, but then our goal is to get living plants to replace it. So mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't want to see any mulch except for what's in my paths. Um, eventually that's the ultimate goal. Yeah. 
and so, that's really yeah it's really improved the soil it's been interesting to see how fast it actually uh, can improve uh, that's awesome yeah would would you say that this uh this form of gardening has made you more popular or less popular with your neighbors oh that was my next question <laughs> <laughs> i'd say the at first they were confused and wondering what we were doing yeah especially when we were putting the hedgerows right on the on the boundary yeah. but um since then they've actually really like it like they they see the increase in birds you know i was careful to pick a lot of native plants that got really nice flowers okay. uh, mm-hmm. on uh, along there so like we have our native rose um other ones and you know my neighbor um direct neighbor he has uh beehives so he's he loves all the flowers i've added you know he's oh, awesome. very happy for in that because of that but yeah they've made a lot of comments about how much how beautiful it is now and how much more wildlife they see mm-hmm. you know i wouldn't say they fully understand everything we're we're doing but they they can appreciate it though and but it did at first they were unsure you mm-hmm. know about it and what was going on and, you know it was a big change from the open fields that they that they'd always kind of yeah. been next yeah. to gotcha. yeah i was wondering just because you started talking about the the tunnels for the coyotes to get in and <laughs> i know just on our our local like town's facebook page the other day there was someone said oh i have coyotes in my backyard what am i gonna do and yeah. there was like all it just like turned into a hundred plus comment thread about coyotes and how people were seeing coyotes in backyards oh you live in an area with coyotes that's yeah that's that what it is yeah, yeah. so yeah and we you know that we so far they've been happy with things you know we've made a lot of changes but i've had people stop on the road and and talk tell me how much they love what we're doing mm-hmm. and you know it's That's we're awesome. right on the busy road so we get a lot of people driving by every day and you know so far all, all the comments i've gotten has been good you know there was one person early on that was just making a comment about that i was letting our lawn go too like just get <laughs> yeah, too tall yeah. but that was because i was getting ready to sheet mulch it i was like well i don't really want to care i don't care about mowing it. i'm gonna put cardboard down on it too yeah. Yeah. But, funny, then, but once people see the results then they've been happy i mm-hmm. think it's more the transition yeah. sometimes people are unsure because no one else is doing like no one in the immediate area around us is doing the same things that we're doing yeah yeah there was a, a going back to the snags too I just remember this story from our one of our New Jersey Native Plant Society meetings because a lot of people know the value of snags and want to add them, but uh, but they live in an area that has a, a homeowners association or something where they aren't allowed to have like accumulating junk. I guess is the would be the, yeah. the the letter of the law. And um, <laughs> the one lady who happened to I met a couple times that she had moved down from Canada and was living in New Jersey and unfortunately she moved back to to Canada. But uh, she was like, oh, yeah, I know how to get around that. You need to, like, encourage them to have, like, it was some, like, rare endangered species of frog. (laughs) And she's like, and then they can't get rid of it once the frogs are there because it's home to an endangered species. (laughs) So she's like, so go find these frogs and put them in here. Like, uh, I guess it works, but, yeah, maybe not the route you're supposed to take. No. Well, what's funny is one of the native veggies that I'm growing is actually threatened to endangered in certain areas of its mm-hmm. native range um it's easy to get from the native nurseries you know like they and it's super easy to grow like it's self-seeding all over okay. in my place mm-hmm. right now like it's but you know we have a few dozen of it and there's a bee that only a native bee that only uses um that one type wow. of plant wow. so like it's endangered i don't think it's in my area it's more down in oregon okay um but you know so sometimes you can you know get the you know i like to 
I like to include these plants when I'm not, you know, I'm not going out to a wild area and digging them up, you yes. know, but they are pretty rare in nature, but it's, or, you know, in these wild areas, but I can get them from nurseries and plant them here. Mm -hmm. And it's, so it is kind of fun. And I don't if know it, if it would count, but yeah. it, it's fun. Yeah. No, but if it, it attracts special, you know, the bees that specialize or something, we don't mm -hmm. encourage people to go out and take, yeah. relocate wildlife yeah. for your own personal <laughs> yeah, use. No, but no. if if you happen to create a habitat that that attracts that them. attracts them. That's that's great. I'm, so, I'm definitely hopeful that we can attract some endangered species here. That's awesome. my long, I would love that. Obviously, I'm not going to go out and get them. I'd <laughs> love, love to have them show up. And to me, I mean, every time I see a new species show up, that's just a sign that what I'm doing is is right. You know, yeah. like mm -hmm. so we had a you know we have a degraded goalie kind of area that's outflow from a stormwater pond um, from the school that we live next to. And I've been trying to turn it into a wetland and restore it. And, you know, the other, we had a beaver show up and then we had great blue herons show up. And oh, it was awesome. like, oh, and then we had, you know, frogs, salamanders. And I was like, okay, this is working. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a great story. You know, what I love about this conversation is we often focus on restoration, kind of like how people picture nature is somewhere out there. We we, we picture restoration or, 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 not promote, just kind of frame restoration as something it's, that happens yeah, out in, in nature and the wild. It's somewhere yeah. else, but you're you're showing how you can make a difference on your own property. So for other yeah. listeners that are interested, and I, I know just from your post in our our Facebook group that a lot of our listeners are interested. What is a great place for the average homeowner to start if they were interested in this? Yeah, you know, I I really do like what you know Douglas Ptolemy has been promoting with the kind of that backyard or homegrown national park mm -hmm. um that idea you know because i do think you're right you know restoration is often seen as like out there you know it's like a project somewhere else not yes. in my where i live you know it's it's interesting to, for somebody to start out i mean one place i always tell people with these native plants is just to start observing and learning because often people just they don't know the native plants that grow right mm -hmm. around them yeah. you know and i think sometimes it's just learning about them you know like and seeing what stands out and but then you know often like in, say like if you're trying if you want to go like if, in the spring people are often wanting to plant you know like do add new flowers or things like yeah. that it's like you know try just at picking a couple native plants to start out like that you can find okay. you know locally and plant those and expand you know we you know we started out with our hedgerows which you know as living fences but um you know you can start with just like a single tree like if you know nice small native tree you know that you could grow some native native plant native flowers underneath and just kind of create that one little little patch and it's i think it's like once you take that first step it it's kind of like it gets you over it builds up momentum it gets you yeah. moving forward mm -hmm. and then it's it's because i think a lot of people they just they don't know one they don't know where to find the native plants they don't know what the native plants are except maybe a few big trees that grow in the area and they're probably thinking like oh i don't want that giant yeah. tree in my yard <laughs> you know so at least not at first they might not want that um maybe one day they'll be okay with that but i think to start out you know it's like starting small is fine just because partially to start even if you're just looking for like a native say a native strawberry you know there's okay. those all over mm -hmm. um this country you know like it's it takes time to find them so like just going through that process of learning about it and finding it you're going to learn which nurse some of the nurseries that sell these plants and you know you're gonna it i think it gets over some of that fear of like will these plants take over you know is it going to look too messy you know what are my neighbors going to think yeah. you know that side and you know i think it's i think you know just recognizing that you don't have to 
do it all at once you know like that's just, great yeah you know just start small and then build and see what you like and you know with the native veggies i always tell people you know start with one or two see how you, what you like try eating them <laughs> you know actually try learning how yeah. to cook with yeah. them because you know that that it can be a challenge just because you you know learning when to harvest when how to cook it different aspects and then once you like know what you like then try a couple more and then mm -hmm. expand the ones you do like and just every year you know add more to it you know we haven't tried to do everything at once we've just every year we've added more yeah on, spe speaking of cooking that is actually we've had a request to actually have a, a chef on um which somehow he's gonna have to teach people how to cook over <laughs> over a podcast but we've actually even talked about making a rude discussion because this one chef i know a couple other chefs yeah. that are really specializing in um sustainable sustainable cooking, cooking or, or cooking what you you catch or find those kind of things mm -hmm. so uh that's going to be a future episode awesome. but i'll let you go first oh, friend thank you because yeah, you, you yeah. know what which is really kind of you because i've been stepping all over you <laughs> yeah. this whole <laughs> this whole podcast like every time i go to talk tom has his mouth open and i just <laughs> yeah. talk right over him but I, the, you know the one plant starting with one plant is a spark and we talk about connectivity so mm -hmm. if you can start building that connectivity sure hopefully you, you, it, it, it grows and grows and grows but i wanted to draw you darren into the conversation that that tom and i started in our intro and i thought this would be a great question to start asking guests yeah. is what is the biggest mistake that you've made with doing this on your property that you've learned from uh the most from yeah i mean really it was trying to do too much at once okay. um and not preparing the a site for planting first okay. so you know like i was Bought, I had I ordered a whole bunch of plants and you know they were all coming in at once because uh, they were ordered from wholesale. So you know also I was gonna have hundreds of plants arriving <laughs> and so they have to get planted fast. And I just ran out of time to get the area prepared. And so like you know along my property there's one stretch of hedgerow that looks really amazing. Like it's all growing really great. It's full and then there it just ends and then you just kind of have a few scattered plants and they were all planted at the same time. And the problem was after at that point there I, I ran out of time to get rid of the grass so i was just gotcha. planting into the grass you know digging rings still trying to get out to, and uh, but you know we lost about half those plants that we planted in that area and so it's kind of like and i still you know have a have bad habit of always trying to take on more than i really have time for <laughs> you know always want to things to change faster um, we're all guilty of that <laughs> but you know i think that was my kind of biggest mistake was though just not taking not slowing down and focusing on on areas you know so now i have a new rule of like i have to prepare the area first before mm -hmm. i can okay. you know get the plants and so because it just it you know it costs me money it costs me time yeah you know it's and just, it's frustration and I have to, yeah yeah that's really like the best in my mind one of the best tips because i think a lot of people just end up getting way too much and then it's an investment like it's it's not free you, you yeah. spend some money on it and then you don't want to see those plants die because you never got them in the ground. You ran out of time. And so uh, even with some of the projects that we're working on with the nursery, we have it blocked out where it's, okay, this is something we're doing in year one. Here's year two. Here's year three. Here's year four. And typically when you do that, you find that, well, everything I had for year one, I actually got it done in half the amount of time I had planned. So maybe we'll do year two too. When yeah. if you do it the other way and say, okay, this is the project I'm going to do it all. A lot of times you find that you took on a little bit too much. So yeah. Yeah, you, yeah. you want to start off with a success, not a failure. Yes, so exactly. if you're starting off small and you have success, it 
it should build on it. Mm-hmm. That is fantastic advice. Thank yeah. you, Darren. Oh, yeah. See, our failure sparked a whole new question <laughs> yeah, yeah, line yeah. of questions for. But we would be remiss if we had you on because you're, and we didn't ask about this because you're starting a new podcast, and we wanted to ask what was your motivation behind this, um, and and where can people find that that podcast? Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Yeah, so the podcast is called Growing with Nature, and it you should be able to find it on any you know kind of listening app that mm-hmm. you use. Awesome. And it's you know it's a evolution of a site I've been running um, that used to be called Wild Homesteading, and then we transitioned to Growing with Nature. Okay. Um, so we started that actually a couple years ago as a blog, and it was really it was really focused around this that you know when I was doing my restoration work. I'd often have people ask me, you know, what is restoration? Like they were just, even if they supported it, they didn't really know what it was. And it was also, it was always that kind of, again, talking about like, they always viewed it as something that was out there. You know, it wasn't, Mm -hmm. it didn't really apply to their own place. I mean, you know, I worked in conservation um, jobs and the people I worked with, you know, they got it, like why these were important, but then you'd see their prop, their own places. And it was mostly lawn and, you know, maybe a handful of native yeah, plants, yeah. but most times it was still just a classic place. And, yeah. you know, and it was, it was just because it was that disconnect. It was that feeling that nature is out there. It's not here. Restoration mm-hmm. is something done out there. It's not what I do in my own place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but I also had this, you know, I grew up growing food and, you know, I wanted to have that element in it. So it was really, you know, a couple of years ago, just wanting to help people bring the knowledge that I had gained through my restoration work and others, you know, to apply it to their own places so you know we always say that we're wanting to help people heal the living world and it's because you know we we really do need to do that each of us needs to do it you yeah. know i really believe that it can't just be something that's done by big projects you know like we all need to have a role in that yeah and you know it's like that homegrown national park idea it's just this idea that you know we all need to play our own part and so i wanted the site to help inspire people to do that you know and we've since kind of focused on five core areas of like, um, you know, growing perennial foods, working with native plants, working with wildlife, building healthy soil, and, you know, working with your land. And it was all kind of around this, that idea of like, how can you make a landscape that provides for you and your family and your community, and also provides for wildlife. And, you know, so native plants had to be a core part of that. You you can't exclude them. And, you know, so the podcast was really, we started that as a evolution of that effort that we started a couple of years ago. And really, you know, we felt like a podcast would be, you know, it's a different medium and we felt like it would be a really great way just to really connect with, with our community and, mm-hmm. you know, and hopefully inspire people, you know, every episode I try to share a little story about what, you know, what's, what I, what's happened on my own place or, you know, experience I've had and then kind of dive into how they, people can then, do what i'm sharing on their own place and it's you know it's just a, it's a different format than a blog you know often blogs it's people are asked typing in a question in google and they just quickly looking for a single answer mm-hmm. and it's less of that inspiration and i felt like we really felt like a podcast could help connect and inspire people you know it's a lot of great information you know for us with the podcast um we're realizing the connectivity different connectivity we have with our our customers and listeners by mm-hmm. You know, it's more of they, they kind of feel like they know us. If they didn't know us before, you see each other in a different light, and there's, there's a warmth to it. But what I love about your podcast is, like, for us, our focus was really big picture, but we get a lot of not so much complaints, but criticism like, well, what can I, 
how you know how can I transition this to my yard? How what mm-hmm. you know what can I do here? And I think you're you're taking more of that approach. I think our listeners, we really recommend that you listening to listen to this so that it will help guide you on a more personal level to 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 make this journey. You know, we may give inspiration in one way, but we're we're asking people to to do research and find more and how it can affect mm-hmm. them. I think you're you're more that guide to help them. So we really hope our listeners find find that path and, and follow you on that. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Appreciate and, that. Yeah, it's it's been great. You know, I've really enjoyed listening to your podcast you. and it's you know, it's just I hope that people will check it, you know, check out the Growing with Nature podcast and you know, we have we just launched, so but we have three episodes of another, and then we'll have new ones coming out each week. And mm-hmm. one of the first episodes is all about native veg, uh, vegetables, so that was kind of one of our starting, you know, topics. I I will definitely be listening. You know, one of the things, that, and it took me a while to realize that I had done a few music podcasts before this that never really took off, and I realized for certain topics, like if you're into music, you don't need to hear me talk about it because every musician has their own social media site you can you can follow your favorite musician all the live long day anyway and get all the information you want but native plants don't have their own podcast Mm -hmm. (laughs) the environment doesn't have its own podcast so really people depend on that information from from other professionals or people in it to to get that and feel connected yeah and and we're getting to a point where there is a native plant centric podcast for a variety of different people we've yeah. we've said it i don't even know how many times we were kind of not there to provide you the answer but connect you with the person who has the answer try and make it a little bit more mainstream and say hey this is yeah you might like butterflies but here's how native plants affect butterflies you may want to do more with food here's a way that you can yeah. connect with food yeah. we're not going to tell you how to do it but these guys can and here's the introduction you, you, but there's other yeah. people who go really deep into different plants and, the, and how the plants are unique or the uses for the plants so it's nice to have another outlet there that's yeah. in this case about food yeah you're so, providing a niche yeah. that's really yeah. important that there's a lack of that out there right now yeah. so you're providing information that a lot we get asked about all the time that we're we're not mm-hmm. experts on that that hopefully i hope that all these people find you and listen because yep. i Thank will you. be a listener i know tom's listening i haven't yet but i'm sure i'm sure i'll be a faithful listener <laughs> once i, I get the opportunity really i'll be mowing my lawn uh, in the next day or two yeah. so that will be and my thinking, thinking about how hungry it's making because <laughs> <laughs> it's all about food for me so we I, I know we started off by talking about your background and what you do but what when did you decide that this is what you want to do to do for a living or the path that you wanted to go what kind of influenced you to to make that leap that this is where I kind of want to go professionally. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. As a little kid, one of the first things I ever wanted to be was a naturalist. Um, really? But I I didn't really know that it was a, a real option, that you could really mm-hmm. do it or that you could make a living off of it. You know, so I, you know, I had in- other interests. You know, I've always been interested in politics and robotics. So I kind of dabbled in those areas, explored okay. those areas. and. It was actually I got lucky and I got to spend uh, with my wife a year in, in England uh, while oh, she was awesome. doing her master's there, and it was a way of, I got to disconnect a little bit from where my life had kind of been going. Mm-hmm. And you know, I volunteered with a, a wildlife conservation group over there, and later on got a job with the city parks department, kind of just helping manage a park. Okay, and it it gave me some of my first hands-on like experience with like sampling ponds and looking at the salamanders and helping to do some plantings and you know it really kind of like 
re brought that you know what i wanted to be as a little kid it kind of brought that back to the awesome. forefront and then when i came back to the states you know i went back to school i got a degree in water resources and you know started work for the usgs and then it just kind of you know it just continued from there and it was really is you know i've always con felt connected to nature i always like enjoyed hiking and things but i kind of lost it as a as a something that i could actually do with my life mm -hmm. and it was kind of that time in england having that really that space you know because to just explore and it let me and i used to take hikes through the english countryside all the time and it just it just it was a first it was just just having that space just let me you know yeah reconnect with that childhood passion that awesome. i and bring that back awesome and here you are here you are so we we always end up full circle talking about it we always end with the the, the same last question and i'm sure you know what this question is going to be um you know but you know we always try to bring it back to native plants and we're curious what your favorite native plant is yeah you know i was definitely thinking about this <laughs> and it's it's funny um thinking about i think probably one of my favorites is is the our native shore pine um here it's okay. uh you know, it's Pinus contorta. It's a, it's also lodgepole pine. It's sometimes called, mm -hmm. but it's um, shore pine tends to get a little scraggly. Um, it's just, I think it was funny though. The reason that I love that tree is, you know, here in Western Washington, most of our forests are, you know, Douglas firs, red cedars. You know, pines aren't that common. Yeah. And but I grew up in Eastern Washington where ponderosa pines were okay. the main mm -hmm. forest tree. Yeah. And I think the shore pine reminds me of that place that i grew up and some of the first forests that i hiked in so it's awesome. kind of like it's a native plant that grows here i have some of it in our hedgerows and it was a way of reconnecting with where i grew up with but still having it be a, a plant that's native here awesome. and I've, I've done that with a few plants you know there's a few others that are like it's not the same plant i grew up with but it's the native equivalent of it and yeah. it kind of has it brings back that kind of connection to that you know, place that I grew up with, which is still kind of what, you know, what I always feel really strongly connected to. That's an awesome choice. Thank you. Thank you. That's, that's, I like how it connects to your childhood too. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. like, it's kind of all that connectivity just in one property. It's, it's, it sounds really special actually. Like I'm, I'm jealous. Um, so we always end on a final thought and this is where we give you the floor. You can promote whatever you want to promote bring up something maybe we didn't uh discuss but we give you the floor and it's yours however you want to use it well thank you yeah it's been great being on here and i think you know what i would just last message really would want to encourage everybody listening you know to to not think of nature as something out there something to go visit you know but to really you know we're a part of nature you know we're not separate from it even if you live in the middle of a city it's nature is still all around you and it's and just focus on trying to rediscover that connection to it and i think you know embrace part of that is learning about the native edibles you know that you know those edibles are are the plants that supported you know vast communities of people historically and we've lost a lot of that but we can rediscover that and bring back that local connection to where we all live and i think you know that hope you'll check out growing with nature you know that's really what we're trying to help people to do you know we're is to reconnect and you know it's not just about native plants for us um but it is that is a core focus i don't think there'll be really a probably every podcast episode will bring up native plants <laughs> even if it's not the focus yeah. um 
and it's because you know i don't feel like you can truly connect with where you live without these plants you know like they're a part of it even if you're growing other um you know other foods too it's like those are all you need those plants and i think that is just that part and you know i one of the a statement that i remember reading but i think it, i heard read it in braiding sweet grass you know by robin wall kilmer um if i'm remembering right but it was this idea that a lot you know of changing our what we sometimes call what sometimes it's called like settler culture into <laughs> more indigenous culture um or naturalized it's like this idea of like get take a step you know get fully out of the boat you know we all yeah. like our ancestors came over by boat and often the plants and the landscapes we're trying to recreate are from where we historically came from yeah and it's like you know you know step out of that boat and embrace where we live now and you know embrace reconnect with the nature that's here that you're a part of and you know native foods are a big part of that and native plants in general and just you know i really hope you'll check out our site you know we're this is an area I'm really passionate about, and you know the site exists to help people do that. Awesome! I love that. I love that. Thank you so much, uh, Tom. Do you want to go, or do you yeah, want me to go? No, I, I can go. Okay. And um, and that's <laughs> going back to I I tend to say at the end of every episode that uh, sharing this with a friend is uh, a really important thing, um, just for the whole aspect of promoting native plants. And I another thing I always say is tie it to something like not everyone's going to care about birds and bees and butterflies or yeah. or even flowers but so you got to find something that makes native plants relative to them or relevant to them and uh well everyone eats food <laughs> so, yeah. so that's one way to do it and uh if people know that they can walk out their back door and make a meal that's goes a long long way and it's something people can feel proud of so um that would guess would be my big takeaway yeah awesome so for me i always have to make it about myself <laughs> so uh you know and in, in in having this discussion and seeing where darren is at with his own property i i'm just thinking about my own journey and i've you know this isn't something that i knew that i wanted to do since i was a kid it's just something that once i found it i knew i didn't want to not have it in my life and i, I look at where i'm at with my my property and i see darren is somewhere where I would like to be. Mm -hmm. So like I'm starting that transition with, with, uh, Agatha's property mm -hmm. and, and I know that's kind of where I want to go. So I appreciate having to get a glimpse at your journey to be there and seeing that it's achievable and it's, it's doable and that, that this is, you know, a path that I want to take. So thank you for kind of like clearing that path and, and letting us take a look at it so that we can all you know, become a part of that. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much. Cause it's, you know, that as, as my journey progresses, I see this and I go, yes, that's, that's, I, I think that's what I'd like to do. So thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. All right. So that's it. That's all. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you'd enjoyed listening to Darren Williams from uh, growing with nature for more information, uh, visit his website, which is growingwithnature.org, and make sure you listen to that podcast, uh, which is also growing with nature. I found it on Apple podcasts. It was really easy and uh listen to at least two of the three episodes maybe i listen to all three i don't know i was <laughs> i was working i was pulling plants so and when you listen to them back to back they kind of start to blend together a little bit so i might have listened to all three of them there but you know it was really good and, and made me think about a lot of things that i i hadn't really thought about uh, just in the backyard previously to that so awesome 
Um, thank you again, everyone, for listening to Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pilots Nursery. So I'm going to give a huge thank you to the egocentric Plastic Men for contributing our theme music. Uh, once uh, they have their concert schedule up, I'll make sure I share a date or two if anyone's in the air and they want to go see them live. They're wonderful. They're great guys, too. You can follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery, or Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet, and YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. Uh, don't forget about the question and comment line. We had some great calls on the last buzz. We're hoping to get some more for next week's buzz. You can call us at 215-346-6189. I will repeat that, 215-346-6189. Ask a question, leave a comment. When we play your question and comment, we'll answer it or comment on a future episode of The Buzz. Uh, the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group just keeps growing. Every time I look at the amount of members, I'm like, how did that happen? You know, it just keeps <laughs> yeah, it just know. keeps growing and growing, and there's a lot of new faces and a lot of new conversations. And I love there was a conversation today that uh, someone pointed out uh, your comment on don't let uh, oh, perfect stand yeah, in the way of good. good. Yeah. And – and hearing people comment about what's going on in other groups that's not yeah. happening in our group that i'm, ha I'm yeah. very proud Which to say I, I do want to clarify and I, i'm about to clarify this in our group too that is not my quote i don't know you were quoting someone, i don't know I who originally said it but i've heard it a lot and that was just what i used there yeah so, so do not say like don't let perfect in the way a good quote tom knezik because it's not it doesn't belong to me no no problem so uh, let's keep that conversation going. And Tom, don't forget to mention what your work. I'm looking at your computer, so in the oh, next segment, yeah, don't yeah. forget to mention that so, in your next. Uh, you can listen to Native Plants Healthy Planet uh, directly at www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. Might have said an extra W there. I, <laughs> it goes so fast now. <laughs> you can also check us out on Apple Podcasts, uh, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, really wherever you consume your podcast. When you're there, also look up that Growing with Nature podcast. Um, you can even ask Alexa to play the Native Plants Healthy Podcast. One of the things we've been working on that we talked about in the last buzz was, one, the the auction, charity auction type thing, which is going to be – that's going to be a lot of work. It, it's going to happen, but some of our <laughs> former guests actually contacted us yeah. and said they would be willing to be a part of this. So uh, we, Tom and I have been throwing around options like uh, – get a private tour of Pinelands mm -hmm. Nursery with Tom and Fran and have lunch or if you're in the area like do a nature hike with us but uh, some of our guests said hey maybe we'll do a consultation mm -hmm. where we help someone plant a native garden and then the plants are provided for that garden yep. so yep. there's a lot of other packages that we're really talking about this is going to happen yeah. uh, probably in February yeah. Yeah. Um, where we have a big charity auction where all the proceeds will go to all these wonderful nonprofit organizations that we've been talking yeah. to so and um, but the thing that we also talk about that will be happening probably by the end of the next week yeah. is yeah. Uh, so in the very near future is we're gonna have t-shirts up so it'll be some t-shirts we'll have some just with the logo on it uh some with like catchy or catchy catchphrases is that a thing the, tom's first but, design um, is my favorite tom yeah. has a design that i love and i hope everyone loves yeah, so as we're gonna try and get like three or four things up there so that you can go if you want to support us well i guess you're not really supporting us because we're taking all the money we make off of it and we're donating we're it to donate. all these organizations that we get to have on so yeah um yeah we're not gonna get rich we're not we're, we're no. passing the buck to the people who really need it so. yeah so yeah with that thank you everyone i'm tom and i am fran thanks again everyone darren thank you so much uh this was fantastic i love this um, next week we have our next buzz episode uh topic to be determined as of yet and then the week after that, I know we haven't had a rooted discussion Ooh. in a while, but we do have one plan for yeah. pollinator week. Yep. So we're really, and it's going to be some chock, heavy hitters, chock yeah. full of 
of previous guests and heavy hitters. So we're, we're excited about that. So uh, make sure you keep tuning in. And until then, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.